Life Church podcast with Pastor David Singer. Let's uh, let's look at God's word for a moment, shall we? Philippians chapter three, beginning at verse twelve. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. The word of the Lord. You know, starting something is easy, but finishing, that's really hard, isn't it? It's the way it is in life. Uh, It's pretty easy to get married. It's pretty hard to make it to your 50th. Pretty easy to start a new workout program. Do that about every year. It's hard to get in shape and stay in shape, isn't it, Jared? Jared's a personal trainer. He knows all about that. Uh, It's easy to start a new diet. Lots of excitement up front. It's hard to develop really good eating habits and keep them. Easy to start a house project. Get really excited about what you're going to do in your house and making something new and making it look cool and nice. But it's hard to see it through to the end and finish the details. It's the way that life is. Just easy to start things and hard to finish things. And the Christian life is the exact same way. It's easy to start. It's easy. When you come to Christ, there's lots of joy. There's lots of excitement. There's lots of motivation. Uh, You just got all these warm, fuzzy feelings. The the community of Christ is new. But as you go along, as the weeks and months and years pass, it gets hard, doesn't it? It gets to be where Pastor Bill's sermon was last week. You're enduring trials. You're like, I didn't know if I signed up for this. It gets hard to stick it out. But here's the deal, friends. Life Church, God wants us to be strong finishers. That's what we're going to talk about today. You know, uh, my kids love the story of the tortoise and the hare. How many of you like that story? Uh, I think it's because we as a family just kind of tend to pull for the underdog. Uh, But for whatever reason, they like it. And I really like it because it says a lot to us about um, this Christian life and how we can finish well. Um, You know, looking at the story, the hare jumps out to a great start. I mean, he's just so far ahead. There's no reason he should ever lose this race against the turtle. You know, he's way faster, way more gifted. But he loses for several reasons. I mean, he's arrogant. He thinks he's won the race from the start. Um, He gets distracted, and he takes his eyes off the prize, off the goal, off the finish line. Ends up losing. And I think many Christians don't finish the Christian life well for similar reasons. We start thinking we've kind of just made it. Like salvation is the end point. So I've got my fire insurance. What's the big deal? What do I need to run hard for anymore? I'm saved. That's about all I need. 
you know, or they just get distracted. Aren't there some things in life that can distract us from running this Christian life? I sure think there are. I mean, there's just a million things that we could put our energy into, our time into, our emotion into, our passion into. Before long, we're, we're not headed anywhere near Christ. The Apostle Paul wants us to be strong finishers. That's where he's going with this today. Uh, and here at Life Church, we as pastors, we would much prefer to have a church full of tortoise Christians than hares. You know what I'm saying? I, we, we would much prefer to have the, the, the people that are just kind of, you know, moving their flippers. Barely moving along, but they're moving, right? And they're not distracted. They're just, they're just locking eyes with Jesus. And they're just keeping on going. They're moving forward continuously, locking eyes with the prize. That's what we want. We want you to be strong finishers. We want you to press on and finish well. The Apostle Paul's saying the same thing here today. He's saying, look, I don't want you limping across the finish line. I don't want you getting distracted and losing sight of it altogether. I want you to press on and finish this race well. So he's going to use this, these athletic metaphors here to help us understand how we're going to do it. And I think Paul gives us four big ideas here as we go along that highlight how we can be strong finishers in the Christian life. So let's look at it here as we go through our text. We've just got a few verses to cover, but they're so important for this Christian race that we're all running. Let's begin in verse 12 with point number one. Paul says, not that I've already obtained all this or I'm already perfect. So he begins with kind of a disclaimer, right? He begins with saying, look, I'm not there yet. I want to just dispel any notions that you might have about me because Paul was kind of a big deal. Right? He was a big deal to all these churches he's writing to. And so he's saying, look, I haven't arrived yet. And that's the first point. Running and finishing the Christian life well, in order to do that, you have to realize and acknowledge that you're not there yet. That we haven't arrived yet. That we better not stop because we're not there. We haven't made it. We're not finished. We can't just call it quits. We can't just dial back our intensity thinking that we've already made it. You know? Um, and I, I think a lot of Christians do this, that we've been following Jesus for a long time. And we just start to say, well, I'm part of this great denomination. And I've got this great uh, pedigree that I can fall back on. My family's got this long line of Christians. And, and, I, and we've got this heritage. And I've kind of kn- been through catechism or whatever we fall back on. And we just stop pursuing Christ altogether. Paul's saying, no, don't slack off. We're not there yet. We, I, haven't, I haven't made it yet. And here's the deal, friends. If Paul, the Apostle Paul, many Christians throughout the history of the church have said, if you weighed Paul on one scale, his passion, his fire for Jesus and the gospel, and you weighed the rest of the Christian church on the other scale, they'd about balance each other out. This dude is fiery for the gospel. This guy, there's nothing that stops Paul. And he's saying, I'm busting it. I'm pushing. I'm pressing on towards the finish. I'm not giving up. So if he's saying that, don't you think maybe we should push too? Don't you think we should keep running too? If this dude that's written half the New Testament is saying, no, 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 I haven't made it yet. I haven't achieved this righteousness yet. I I don't know Christ like I want to know Christ. If he's like, I'm busting it for the finish line. I'm locking eyes with Jesus. Don't you think we should be doing the same? Don't you think we should be saying, look, I've got... There's an ocean of God available. I'm going to press on. I'm going to push forward. I want to know Christ. I'm not going to stop running right now. That'd be the worst thing we could do. So point number one is don't let up. We're not there yet. We have to acknowledge that. 
We've got to press on. Which brings us to our second point, which is also in verse 12. Paul says, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. So Paul's saying here, I'm pressing on, I'm, I'm pursuing this, but I do it because of something. I'm pursuing Christ, but I do it because of something. And he says, I do it because he first pursued me. This is a huge secret, friends. This is huge to your motivation to running this Christian life well. Paul's saying, I work for him because he worked so hard to get me. I pursue him because he pursued me first. I'm trying to take hold of him because he took hold of me. And Paul uses the same word to describe what he's doing to describe what Jesus did for him. And no doubt Paul's thinking back to that time on that donkey on the Damascus Road where he was going one way to persecute Christians, to drag them out of homes and lock them up. And Jesus came and said, knocks him off his donkey and says, you're mine. Literally took hold of him. And Paul says, I remember that. I remember how Jesus pursued me in my sin, and I haven't forgotten that. And that causes me to run hard. That causes me to press on. That causes me to not give up. And that should be the same with us, friends. That we would not get over what Jesus has done for us. This is a prayer of mine. It has been for years because I recognize in myself the proclivity to get over stuff, right? Um, I like new things. I like, thi- I like uh, things that sparkle and shine, and I, li- I like things that are interesting. And, and then after it's not that interesting, I just kind of move on to something else. Um, we do this with everything. You get a new car, and for a while you're like, don't touch it, don't even breathe on it. The kids have to be like in plastic bags to sit in it. You know, and, and you're like, just don't, t- don't ruin my new car because it's the kind of the new thing. And then something has to happen to it so you can finally relax, right? Some, somebody has to back into it, and you're like, oh. And then you're like, well, now I'm over it. Now I can actually use the thing and enjoy it. Um, the kid has to spill milk in it or whatever in order for you to actually just get over it. But we do it with everything. It takes a little bit of time for some things, but we get over almost every new thing in life. And the same thing happens to our faith. You know, we, st- we start out and we're fired up about what Jesus has done for us. He forgave us. He gave us a new start. He gave us hope. He gave us life. And then after the years go by, we start thinking about all we're doing for Jesus. And what he did for us kind of seems like a little thing. And what we're doing for him kind of seems like a big thing. We start kind of complaining, right? That's what happens. So my prayer is, friends, at Life Church, would we never get over what Jesus has done for us? As a matter of fact, would this become bigger to us as we go, that as we press into what Jesus has done for us, how he pursued us, would this get more spacious and more big and revealed to us more? Look at, look at what he did for us. Look how lost we are. Look, look how damned we were before he came and sought us out and gave his life for us. It's my prayer. We would never get over what he's done for us and that we would pursue him because he first pursued us. We'd run hard for him because he ran hard for us. We work for him because he first worked for us. It's the second point. Third thing Paul gets to here is in verse 13. At the beginning of verse 13, we find Paul kind of reiterating his disclaimer. He's saying, brothers, I don't consider that I've made it my own. He wants them to be sure about this. Like he's saying, I haven't arrived yet. I haven't achieved the resurrection. I'm not righteous like Christ yet. I don't know Christ the way I want to know Christ. I, I'm, I'm not there yet. But then he says, but this one thing I do. Uh, now, how many of you know, if you're 
in a seminar with a guru that you really admire, and, or maybe you know, you're, you're at a workshop and they're talking about your favorite hobby or your favorite thing to do and you're passionate about it, and they've been really successful, and they're saying, look, here's one thing I do. How many of you are just writing that down, right? You're just like, I'm doing that. Whatever they're doing, I'm writing that down. And Paul's saying that here. He's saying, you want to finish well? You want to press on hard to the finish line? Here's one thing I do. And he says it. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Forgetting what lies behind and straining towards what lies ahead. Now, what does that mean? Was Paul somehow gifted with an ability to just totally mentally block out everything he'd ever done in the past? I don't think so. This doesn't mean, like, I actually can't remember anything that happened before today. Uh, It doesn't mean that. It it means he's saying, I'm not letting anything influence me from the past. I'm not letting that have power over me. I don't pay any attention to what is behind me. All right? Uh, Now, this means a lot of different things for us today in this room. And I think it's a powerful statement in so many ways for many of us in different ways. For Paul, given the context here of what he's been talking about, the things he lost for Christ's sake, I think what Paul means here is, I don't pay any attention to the things that I gave up that I left behind for Christ. I don't let that have any influence over me. I I just don't even pay any attention to it. He's kind of saying, like, I shouldn't even be talking about it. It's so stupid compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ. Um, It's kind of like this. I'll try to give you an illustration to to try to make this point a little finer. Let's say that I'm going out in the wilderness hiking on a fishing trip. And um, I got my pack, I got my stuff, and I'm going, plenty of water. And maybe I pack along a secret, you know, Arizona iced tea, ice cold, maybe an Arnold Palmer, because I just love those. And going out for the day, and somehow I happen to meet Bill Gates wandering around. And Bill has come out too, but he's gotten lost. And he wasn't prepared, and he doesn't have anything to drink, and he's like dying of thirst. And he says, first of all, how do I get back out of here? And I'm like, well, we're miles in here. This is going to take a long time. And he says, well, do you have any fluids? I don't have anything with me. I'm going to die of thirst. And I say, yeah, I do. And he says, look, I'll, I'll give you half of my company for your Arizona iced tea. I'm like, my Arnold Palmer? the ice cold one you know you sure you want that you just want you want my Arnold Palmer and he's like yeah I want the Arnold Palmer I'll give you half of Microsoft and I'm thinking you know I'll be a multi-billionaire but that's my Arnold Palmer you know the perfect blend of iced tea and lemonade and I've just been counting on drinking it you know I just been I've been thinking about it all the way out there and so I'm like you're killing me here Bill but I'll do it okay I'll do it so I become an instant multi-billionaire But then years down the road, I start to think about all those sips of Arizona iced tea that I could have had, my Arnold Palmer. I I start to think, like, boy, I really gave up a lot. I know I'm half owner in Microsoft and stuff, but I gave up a lot to get there. I mean, think about, you know, think about that. It was ice cold. It was just a perfect day. And then maybe I decided a few years later to write a book about all I gave up to gain half. And that's kind of how stupid it is. So Paul's saying, like, seriously, whatever I gave up to gain Christ, it's not even worth talking about. It's like garbage. It's like rubbish. Like, leave it behind. Don't pay any attention to it. Don't look back. Press on towards what's forward. That's what he's saying. He's like, I consider it rubbish for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. He's like, don't you see what I gained? 
Don't you see how magnificent he is? Don't you see I'm included into, into royalty? He's given me everything. That's why Paul can say, I would gladly die to know Christ. It's greater to him. So, so I'm pressing forward to what lies ahead. I'm forgetting what is behind. Now, for you, I think that's what Paul's talking about here. For you, it might mean something different. Uh, paying no attention to what is behind for some of you means paying no attention to what the enemy says about you and what you've done in the past. Because he will come, won't he? Let me know this all too well. You know his voice. He says, you're pathetic. You're never going to be anything but the, but the person that you were when you did that. You're just a loser. You're never going to get over that. Nobody else is going to ever forgive you of that. And you shouldn't forgive yourself. And you're just a slime bag. And he just comes and he just piles it on you. And Paul says, pay no attention. Don't look back. Look forward. Look forward. And as a matter of fact, why don't you remind the enemy of what's coming for him too? He doesn't like to talk about what's coming. He likes to talk about what's in the past. So, so you know, Paul's saying, put up a big no fishing sign in the past and move forward. Don't think about it. Don't look back. Press on towards what is ahead. That's what he's saying here. For some of you, maybe it's giving up those pleasures. It's like the, it's like the Arnold Palmer, the Arizona iced tea. You're thinking, boy, when I, was, when I wasn't a Christian, I could do this, and boy, I really enjoyed that. And you kind of get, catch yourself daydreaming about your old life before Christ, things you gave up to follow Jesus, because he says those things are destructive to you. And, and Paul's saying, don't pay any attention to those things. Those things are rubbish. Those things are garbage compared to what you got. You shouldn't even be talking about it. It's just stupid. Um, for some of you, it's notoriety or, or some sort of position um, that you gave up because you had your identity in this thing, and now Jesus says, now your identity's got to be in me, see? Your identity is in me, first of all, and that's where you take your identity. And so Paul's saying, don't look back. Strain towards what's forward. Press on towards the goal. Press on towards the goal. Which brings us to our final point in verse 14. He comes to the final encouragement for us to press on and finish strong in this Christian race. Paul says in verse 14, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He says, let those of us who are mature think this way. So Paul says, this is what it's going to be like when you're mature. I want you to be mature. That's what he's getting at here. But he says, press on towards the goal for the prize. Uh, we, we've heard the saying so many times, keep your eyes on the prize. That's what Paul's saying here. You want to finish well, you need to know what the prize is, and you need to keep your eyes on it. Or you're going to get distracted, and something else is going to become the prize. You're going you're to run after something else. This is all of Paul's fuel and motivation for his running here. It's all of, he, he isn't just running after nothing. He knows what he wants, and he's pressing for it. He's driving for it. He's straining for something. It's the goal. It's the prize. You might say, we've been talking about this goal, this prize, what we're headed towards all day, but, but what exactly is it, Pastor Dave? Well, Paul has said it in verse 11, what Pastor Bill preached on last week. He said it pretty clearly um, in the prior verses. He says, I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ says it so many times. It's just, it's just obvious. This is his heart. This is his prize. This is his goal. He wants to know him now and in the resurrection life to come, where he'll know him perfectly, where Jesus comes back, puts everything right, and we're finally home with him. 
That's what Paul wants. He wants to know Jesus, and he wants to participate in the resurrection life to come when Jesus comes back and reigns as king. That's what Paul wants. That's what he is pressing for. That's his reward. That's the ultimate goal of his life. So perhaps the first question we have to ask today, or the biggest question we have to ask today, is this. If you don't get anything else, just just ask yourself this question. Now, if you're not a Christian here, this doesn't apply to you right now. Um, But if you're here and you're a Christian, is Jesus a prize to you? Is Jesus a treasure to you? Like he was to Paul. Jesus is what Paul wanted. So much so that he could say, to live is Christ, to die is gain. To be apart from the body is to is to be with Christ, which is better by far. He could say those weird things. He wasn't suicidal. He didn't have a death wish. He just loved Christ. He saw Christ as a prize. Do you see Christ as a prize? Is he a treasure worth giving up everything for? Jesus, when he was on earth, told that parable of the buried treasure. He said, here's what it's like when you become a Christian. Paraphrasing a little bit. It's like a man that goes out and finds treasure in a field, and he immediately goes and sells all he has so he can buy the field and have the treasure. He'll give up anything to have it. Is that what, is, that's one of the ways you know you become a Christian, is you feel like you found treasure. It's a lot more, more like finding treasure than it is like joining a club, becoming a Christian. You know you become a Christian if you feel like, I found tre- a treasure. I've gotten a prize, and I'd give up everything in my life for it. That's why Paul can say, everything else in my life, I consider it rubbish compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Is Jesus a prize to you? Because that's what Paul's saying throughout this whole section. He's saying, don't you see what I have? Don't you see what I've got? I don't want to talk about stuff I've given up because look what I've gained. I want, I want Christ. I want to know him. Paul met him personally in kind of a rough way. But he was bent on finding him again. He was bent on pursuing him. It was, it was the all-out effort of his life. For Paul, Jesus was his supreme treasure. Jesus was his supreme joy, and the ultimate goal of his life was pointed right at Jesus. Let me ask you, where is your life headed today? What's the ultimate goal of your life? Where is it pointed? Uh, often, I have to admit this, when I look at my life, I'm like, boy, I've got a lot of other treasures that I'm running after. I've got a lot of other prizes that I, I just think, boy, if I got that, then I would really have sweet life. I'm not saying you can't want anything else in life than Jesus. But I'm saying, like, if we really look at it, what are we really treasuring in life? I mean, I know that these things that I, that I feel pulls to, they don't provide life in the end. They're really empty in the end. I know that. But something in me, a little voice in my head says, but if you just got a little bit more, then you would finally find life in it. And it never works. Friends, the answer is always in Jesus. He is the only prize that will never let you down. As you seek him, he's the only goal that will really fulfill you. He's the one you were made for. That's why Paul can say this. Like, look, keep your eyes fixed on the prize. Don't get distracted like the hare did. Don't run after other things. He's the only one that will satisfy you. So how do we end this? How do we wrap this up? What does this mean for us 
personally to, to pursue Jesus Christ, to, uh, to run hard into the finish line as Christians, and to find our life in Jesus? Well, I think it means a couple of different things. Um, first of all, as N.T. Wright said, it means that we live, this is kind of the big overarching idea, we live in light of our future now. We get to start living the resurrection life now. We begin it now. We don't have to wait for Jesus to come back. We start living in light of our future now. This is kind of the unique thing about Christians is Christians don't live in the present completely. um, And Christians don't live in the normal future perspective. Most people, if you ask them, they're looking forward to something in the near future. Maybe 10 years out, maybe five years out, maybe it's retirement, having this kind of a life, getting this cabin on the lake, you know, whatever. And Christians are like, no, that's too short-sighted. I'm not looking at the 50-year perspective. I'm looking at the 50-million-year perspective, which sounds crazy to people, but Christians live in light of that all the time. We live in light of what it will be like when King Jesus returns and puts everything right. So, so this 50-year window or 40-year or whatever, 30-year, the short little breath of time you got, it doesn't matter as much as the long-term perspective. And so Paul's saying, lock eyes with Jesus and get that perspective so that you'll run well right now. That will influence everything about, you do, about what you do today. So, so pursuing Jesus now, what does that look like? Well, it means we actually pursue him as the treasure he is. We pursue him as the prize that he is. And we start now. We want to know Christ. Right? That's Paul's goal. We want to know Christ. And so right now, that's the joy and privilege of our lives is to, to start getting to know Christ. And I know this is hard. It's hard for me even to think, how do you get to know a God you can't see? Anybody ever struggle with that? How do you really get close to someone you can't see or hear audibly? At least I've never heard him audibly. Um, but one thing I, th- I think happens here is we get a few lies from the enemy and then our, our effort just goes down to almost nothing. And if you put that little effort into any relationship, you wouldn't have a relationship with anybody. You know? I mean, sometimes I've got to really be honest with myself and look at it and be like, if I spent that much time, as much time you know, trying to get to know Christ as I do my wife, I wouldn't know my wife. You've got to carve out some time. So maybe for some of you today, it's just 15 minutes. You're just saying, all right, I'm going to set aside 15 minutes to start getting to know Christ. I'm going to throw in a little bit of fasting. Maybe I'm going to do some stuff in community. I'm going to get in a life group. I'm going to jump into a Bible study. And, and start ha- having other people help me with it. But really, it's just this heart set to say, Jesus is the goal. He's got to be the prize in my life. He's got to be the treasure. So I'm pursuing him with all I've got. We start now. This is not a burden. This is the joy and privilege of our lives. We get to know the one who loved us infinitely and pursued us first. You know, certainly living, beginning the resurrection life now also means, like Pastor Bill was saying, that we care and we have great concern about Jesus' name going to all the nations. Because what's it going to be like in the new earth? Well, every tribe, tongue, and nation will be there praising Jesus. So first and foremost, our, our motivation isn't even love for people, but it's we love Jesus so much, we want more people praising him, more tongues singing his praises, more people loving him. We want his glory because we're his people. He's our king. Um, living the resurrection life now means we care about justice issues. We care for the orphan and the widow and the poor and the outcast. It means we care and we work for those ends. We work for justice because King Jesus is bringing justice with him. 
He loves justice. His heart burns for justice. And so we get started on those things now. We don't have to wait for him to come. We get started making the earth like it will be when he comes. It means we live in harmony with, with other believers and with all people. You know, Christians are supposed to be the most socially tolerant people on the planet. We can love anybody. Why? Because Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. It doesn't matter what their sexual orientation is. It doesn't matter what their religious position is. We're called to love, period. No exceptions. We get to start that now. Because in the city of God, we will love relentlessly one another. We'll be in perfect harmony with everyone as God's people. Friends, this is your future. Life Church, this is where we're headed. So all I'm saying here this morning is along with the Apostle Paul, do not give up. Don't you dare stop running. Don't you dare dial back your intensity. You need to press on to finish well. You were the joy to Jesus, and now he is the joy to you as you run after him. You were the prize to him, now he's the prize to you as you pursue him. Friends, starting is easy. All of us can admit that. It's finishing that's hard. So let's press on after him, and let's finish this race well. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for your word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that makes all of this running and pursuing you possible, that you give us your Holy Spirit to enable us to live out this new life that you've called us to live. We pray now, Father, that you would put in us a finisher's heart. We've started this race. Some of us may be distracted even this morning, and this is a little bit of an adjustment from your Holy Spirit for us. Some of us may be in here, we haven't started the race, and and we're just considering Christ, and I pray that you would um, come in, Holy Spirit, and help us to begin, but that for all of us here today, you would anoint us to finish this race well, that not one person in this room would get distracted and fall away from the race, but that we pursue you and that that would be the joy of our lives to run after you until our last breath. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Like Pastor Dave said, we are invited to pursue Jesus because he first pursued us. And that happened when God sent him as a baby to this world, that Jesus took on human flesh as fully God and lived a life where he suffered and he suffered to the point of death on the cross that he died and if the story ended there that would just be the end of it and it wouldn't be good news but the story doesn't end there the story continues with Christ being raised from the dead three days later that Christ was raised from the dead and that he ascended into heaven and that he is coming back that Jesus promised to come back to return to his people to rule in the new heavens and the new earth, and that he would set everything right. And so that's what we're invited into. That's what the prize is, is participating in that resurrection life and getting to know God and getting to know each other in full community without the brokenness of sin. And so if this is something that you've heard for the first time today, you're invited to respond to that. Um, the prayer team will come up, and you can talk with them, pray with them. If you have any other prayer needs, you can also come up and talk with the prayer team. So I will pray, and the prayer team will come up, and if you aren't staying to pray with them, you are um, able to leave quietly. So.
Thanks. God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you, Jesus, that you took on flesh, that you met us where we're at, that you love us, and that you have pursued us. We thank you, um, Father, for being a good and loving Father, and we thank you, Holy Spirit, for being with the church now. We thank you for the way that you move among your people. We thank you for being with us um, in full community as we await for Christ's return. And so, God, we pray that you would help us to pursue you, that you would help us to know that you are worth um, giving up whatever you're asking us to give up. We thank you that you're the ultimate prize, and we pray that you would continue to remind us of that. We love you, we praise you, and we pray all of these, all of these things in your mighty name. Amen.